my academic year is over and it is depressing. It's time for a strength check. What's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzak. This is another episode of Strength Check. This week, we're going to talk about the Black Hand Society. We're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. We're going to talk about nostalgia. We're going to talk about moving on from stuff. So today was graduation for my students. Um, Graduation is a major party at my university. It is, what, three hours long, give or take. It's very student and family friendly. It's long by design, and I think that, for the most part, everybody has a blast, except me. So it's sad, right, because we spend so much time taking students from sort of lost-in-the-woods first-year students and helping them grow and helping them find themselves and figure out who they are and what they're capable of and and what they want to do. And then just when they get interesting, they leave. And for whatever reason at my program, we have a difficult time keeping in touch with people after they leave. So today was the last day that I'm going to see some of these people, which is really sad. I also found out tonight that a a coworker of mine who I have a tremendous amount of respect for is also leaving. And we said goodbye to another colleague who's retiring. So this was a lot of change. And I hate change. And it's weird that I'm in this job, that I hate change so much. And every year we go through stuff like this. So there's that. And it's had me thinking a lot about nostalgia lately. I found myself feeling like these weird sort of nostalgic pains for for cultural stuff. Um, but not like cultural stuff from when I was a kid, right? And I've never been somebody who who thinks back to stuff from the 80s and is like, oh man, like I miss those shows or I miss those toys or whatever. I've been thinking about cultural stuff from like after I got out of college. Like I have this this vivid memory of the first time I ever listened to NERD on a CD that I bought. <laughs> when I bought CDs, driving my car, listening to it, thinking like for the first time in a long time that I, I didn't know music could do that and and being just blown away by what they could do. I remember thinking about, or I can, I, I've been thinking about when the Guild first came out and watching those, those shorts and just sort of being amazed at the, the possibility for that sort of short form web series and like what people could do with it. And even for a very brief time, even considering trying to launch one myself, which, you know, looking back, I was in no way equipped to. Uh, do something like that but I I kind of wish that we had tried and I've been thinking about celebrities that have been canceled <laughs> that people that I, I used to really I don't know if I would say admire but people whose work that I really admired and that I really looked up to and for various reasons 
have revealed themselves to be just trash. And I miss that. I miss not being sick, too. So I apologize if I sound a little stuffy. I'm recording this later than I normally would because graduation and all of the um, festivities afterwards took a little bit longer than expected. And I did not get the heat on in my basement in time. So it's cold in here. I'm sorry. Not really. And so I, I wonder, like, what the point of this nostalgia is, because I know that it's something that happens to everybody as you get older, and I'm trying to find, like, a way to turn it into a positive, because I don't want to be one of those old guys who is, like, having a midlife crisis, who only thinks that the bands that I listened to in high school are, are the only things that have ever been any good. Like, I don't want to be, like, a living time capsule. And so I, I really tried hard to, to keep up with stuff as much as I can. I mean, with my job and kids, it's hard. But I try. But now, like, feeling nostalgic about something from five years ago feels weird. You know? Like, that's, that's weird, right? Like, it occurred to me yesterday that the, that the Comedy Bang Bang live tour, they did this live tour all over the country... Um, and a couple of shorter legs, I guess, in the UK and Australia. And the summer that they toured, I I listened to that almost obsessively. Like every day, a new tour, like two hours or so, I think they were, give or take, maybe, I don't know. But I would listen to it. Um, like it was my job. And that was some of the best comedy that I've ever heard in my life. I love that weird, absurdist, like, it's it's the best. And that was three years ago. I can't believe that was three years ago already. Like, where did the time go? Why am I nostalgic and why am I feeling sad about something that just happened three years ago? What is it? What is it about time that does that to us? And so then I've been wondering, like, is this because of the ghosts? Is this because I have been in my, in what time I have, a, a decent part of my brain has been focused on this, like, large history of crime project, and so I'm, I'm spending so much time, I guess, emotionally in the early 1900s, and, and thinking about all this stuff, and so all the time I'm thinking about things that are just stuck in the past, and I wonder if that's why I'm feeling nostalgic for something that basically just happened yesterday. Why am I sitting around like an old man in a rocking chair, like the good old days of 2016. (laughs) Come on. That's not... I don't know. So, you know, you signed up for this show. You knew that this was going to be my thinking out loud about stuff, and so I feel like you got a good, healthy dose of my thinking out loud about something that I guess probably nobody really cares about. So let's talk about crime history. How about that's something that people care about. So we're putting a pin in the anarchy business for now. I don't know if anybody enjoyed the anarchy stuff, but if you did, that's awesome. If you didn't, well, maybe you'll like this. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about crime in the United States is the development of it, or the evolution, or the progression. And in my classes, I'll say, um, when the first colonizers settled, or arrived, in North America, 
none of the crime problems that we would consider to be major problems or major issues today, none of those things existed. There were no gang problems. There was no heroin. There was no nothing like that. And so where did they come from? And if you can trace the sort of genesis of that, maybe you can find solutions to it now. And I think gangs are really interesting. I think that universally, local, state, and federal governments have done an abysmal job of addressing the problem of gangs in the community, um, whether it's in northeastern Pennsylvania or south central Los Angeles or wherever. And so kind of going back a little bit before the Black Hand Society, we had gangs sort of cropping up in the United States as a result of alienation. Gangs are very much an issue of people not feeling like they belong anywhere, especially young men not feeling like they have any place that they fit in, that they they wake up in a world that hates them. They look out the window and see no opportunity. They only see contempt for themselves. And so for a lot of boys and grown men and girls and women too, gangs are almost like, I hate to use the Island of Misfit Toys analogy, but it's kind of that. Like the gang is the only thing that actually cares about you. And the gang reinforces this nihilistic view of the world that nothing matters. And these are the only people that matter to you. These are the only people that care about you. So of course you're going to go along with it. If I don't think I'm going to live until I'm 17 years old, I'm going to be dead before then. And I have all these people around me that are reinforcing that worldview. And I have nobody outside. Nobody in school or in the community or in government who is actually telling me and showing me that they love me then of course I'm going to be in a gang. Like, why wouldn't I? It's the most logical, reasonable thing in the world to do. So in the United States, we had gangs, like as we think of them, really because of this alienation. And we had people coming here from Italy and Ireland and other parts of Europe, but primarily Italians and Irish, who were coming here and were completely unwanted. Like, absolutely unwanted. And that's where those first gangs came from. So what does that have to do with the Black Hand Society? So an interesting thing happened along the way um, to the contemporary gang problem in the United States, which was the slow, in my opinion, the slow development of whiteness. A hundred years ago, whiteness wasn't a thing. Today it is. But what happened along the way? And why don't we still see gangs of Italians or Irish. When we do, we don't call them gangs anymore. We call them the mob or the mafia. But how do they make that transition? Well, they're white. Today, the idea of hanging a sign up in your window that says no, no Irish allowed is, you know, absurd. And I think we forget about how, how much and how deeply different European ethnicities hated each other a long time ago. Not even that long ago. This umbrella of whiteness sort of acted as a, as a unifying front and said that let's set aside all of these centuries-old ethnic clashes in the name of protecting ourselves and promoting ourselves against people who don't look like us. The Black Hand Society represents sort of the first step towards the 
change or a step in the evolution of those old street gangs in New York City in the 1860s and 70s as just out of control violent for this for violence sake into entities that had more organization to them so the black hand society um they were basically a loosely organized extortion racket and so what they would do is um, they would target italians in the neighborhood that they lived in um, and this started in New York City and spread to other major urban centers. Um, I know Chicago had a major black hand problem as well. And so the black handers would identify somebody who had a, a storefront that had become really successful or had had gotten some manner of power in some way. And they would send them a letter saying or demanding, you know, a sum of money. Um, not any sum of money that seems like really exorbitant by today's standards, but you know, a hundred years ago, a letter demanding $5,000 or $1,000 is was a huge deal. And lots of people paid them um, because if you didn't pay, there was a pretty good chance that you were going to get blown up. The Black Hand Society was notorious for bombing buildings. The Black Hand Society kidnapped children at a, at a pretty good clip. And sometimes they killed those kids. I think there are a few incidences where the bodies of children were found in chimneys in New York City. So I've read kind of conflicting reports about the Black Hand Society. Some of them say that the Black Hand was this nationwide, um, almost like, I guess to use 2019 language, like a terrorist organization. And I've heard others say that it wasn't really a big deal. Um, but we know that it was somewhere in the middle because the NYPD had a had an official response and the federal government had had an official response. There were efforts to limit immigration coming from Italy to the United States, which would have changed American history for the worse, certainly. So the Black Hand Society are the villains here. And I want to say, I want you to know that the Black Hand Society didn't really discriminate um, in who they targeted. Uh, if you were Italian and you were successful then you were on the list. Um, there was a case in Chicago where they targeted a mobster, and I'm I'm blanking on his name right now. I don't have the notes up in front of me. That's what happens when you improvise something like this on the fly. And improvising and on the fly are redundant, but whatever. They targeted him. <laughs> and when you think of the Chicago mob in the 1900s, is that a really organization that you want to go to war with over a few thousand dollars here or there uh, and to the outfit's credit they they pushed back they fought back and won and that led to the the career of Al Capone in Chicago that's another story for another time so the Black Hand Society uh, are the bad guys in the story bombers thieves kidnappers murders the hero in the story is a man who is the first person we're going to introduce on the show who has this title. It's not a title that you really hear thrown around so much today in contemporary American investigations, which was Sherlock Holmes. Uh, back when, there were sort of a... I don't, I don't know if it was like a competition, but maybe the highest form of praise that a police officer could get 
was that they were the blank version of Sherlock Holmes. And so I have three different Sherlock's Holmes or Sherlock Holmeses to talk to you about during the course of the Strength Check crime history portion of the show. Uh, and the first man we're going to introduce is named Giuseppe Petrosino. Petrosino was the first Italian detective in the history of the NYPD. Giuseppe Petrosino is one of the best detectives in American history. And to spoil it for you, Petrosino lost. Petrosino will lose this battle with the black hand. But not the war, I guess, necessarily. We're going to get into Petrosino next week, though, because what matters now is is the Black Hand Society and the chaos that they brought to New York City. So remember, this is a time when Italians weren't really valued. Um, much the same way that we, well, we, the royal we, that a large segment of American society vilifies immigrants today could be said for Italians 100 years ago. There were officials in New York City who didn't want to do anything about the Black Hand Society and, and hoped that the Black Hand would be a, a fire that would put out the Italian problem in the city. There were people that talked about how this was inevitable. This was part, this was inherent to the Italian character. This was part and parcel with who they were. You're going to get this violence. You're going to get this fear-mongering from them, and there's nothing that you could do about it. So why even try? So again, like this similar dehumanizing rhetoric that we hear a lot today about people who aren't Italian, people who aren't white. And so this is a problem that went on unchecked for quite a while. Um, and even when Petrosino enters the story, it's not like he he was this cavalry that rode in to save the day. Although a lot of people believed him to be, to be that. And I think in, in some ways he probably viewed himself that way too but it wasn't like an introduction it wasn't like oh my god that's Giuseppe Petrosino's music and he comes out and hands out some choke slams and then all of a sudden the Black Hand Society lost the title that's not how it worked like the bad guys win sometimes so it's just I think important to to consider this part of the story right because the idea today that there are people terrorizing their own communities or terrorizing any communities, considering how digital everything is now and how connected we all are, that this torment, that this torture, this terrorism would go on unchecked while law enforcement just kind of sat by the wayside and the government sat by the wayside and just shrugged their shoulders. Like, that wouldn't happen today, right? So I want to leave on a positive note this week because this is a sad episode. And it's okay that it's sad sometimes. I want to do another pitch for Play for Progress. I want to tell you again that the stories that you have in your life that you've experienced about your own mental health struggles, your own problems with substance abuse, any bullying or abuse that you've experienced, any mistakes that you have made in your past that you think are the defining thing in your life, None of it is. Like You are more than that. You are more than your greatest mistake. And I think that there's this problem in our world where we all have this shame. 
of something that we did or something that was done to us and we hold it inside and we think that we are the only person who ever made this mistake before and in reality we're not we think that we're the only person who's ever had this misery delivered onto our lives and in reality we're not we think that we're the only person who's been cursed to have this thing happen or to behave this way or to have lived this life and the reality is that we're not and I think that it's important to tell these stories if not directly autobiographical stories saying hey I did this or hey this happened to me I think it's important to come up with fictional representations of those real world real life events that very rarely do we ever see covered in media or pop culture in ways that are humanizing and that are validating is the word I'm looking for ways that are validating and in ways that provide us a roadmap or any roadmap or even a door to go through to say that what you thought was the end of the line for you what you thought was the end of your life isn't and so I want to accomplish that however I can I think that there's lots of opportunities to do that through gaming I think there's lots of opportunities to do that through any other type of stories that you want to tell. So if that's you, and you need to hear this, then reach out, and maybe we can do something. And it brings me back to that nostalgia thing that I was talking about a minute ago. That tendency that we have to dwell on things, to dwell on these these markers in our past that act as maybe reminders of who we are and we flash back to those moments when we heard a song on the radio that we loved or you know one of the cool things about being a parent is getting to introduce my kids to stuff for the first time and we have those memories of hearing or seeing something for the first time we have those memories of our first times for even small things that maybe we've forgotten about that's we shouldn't have but we did like Everybody saw the moon for the first time once, but can you remember the first time you saw the moon? But I digress. So we have these markers in our past that sort of remind us of who we are and what we're supposed to be and where we think this path is going, but, you know, I guess I can end on on the wisdom of two different (laughs) Disney philosophers as we head into this graduation weekend, or out of this graduation weekend. In the words of Queen Elsa of Arendelle, let it go. And in the words of Kylo Ren, let the past die and kill it if you have to. Thank you for listening to another episode of Strength Check. As always, you can contact the show at strengthcheckpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on the Red Hot Twitter machine at strengthcheck. You can follow me at Hey Dr. Will, H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. The show is produced, as always, by the incomparable Mark Warren. Mark looked at this around 10 minutes, 59 seconds, and thought, this is tight. If you have any feedback, you have any suggestions for future episodes, please reach out. I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. So that's it for this week. Be good to each other. Bye.